right, let's get into some word because we're going we're gonna to try to wrap up this me and my dysfunctional family uh, uh, on today. The Lord said the same in Genesis 20 seconds. Captain, I do believe he will say the same. It's just whether or not I get in line with what God wants to do. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter number 22. This, this is the chapter I've been waiting to get to. This is the chapter that I want us to see and understand as we've observed Abraham and his dysfunctional family. Because we're talking about me and my dysfunctional family. But to, today we want to title this Total Surrender. Everybody say Total Surrender. Because we saw all of the, the ins and outs. We saw the, the, the lying. We saw the trickery. We saw uh, the, uh, the hookup with the other woman and the outside child. And we saw how, how jealousy and envy, amen, began to portray in the family. And all this stuff that we sometimes see in our own families, we see in the family that God chose to birth the, earth, the Savior in the earth ram through. The very family that God chose, because God, when he chose any, any, if he chose any family, including if it was our family, we know that there's going to be some dysfunction in our families. Because all of us were what? Born in sin and shaping in iniquity. And so we got to deal with some things. So let's, let's see if we can unpack some things here today for you. Uh, in Genesis chapter number 22, we're going to read verse 1 through 3, then we're going to begin to share some things, which hopefully will help you to understand what it means to have total surrender. When you totally surrender to God, that you'll be able to effectively deal with the dysfunctionality in your family. You'll be able to, to, to effectively deal with the dysfunction that's inside of you, because all of us have some. The text says this, uh, and it came to pass after these things that God did what? Tempt Abraham. The root word there is to test, or he tried it, amen, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here am I. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. And offer him therefore a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. The text says, and Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Everybody say God told him. Now guys, uh, when we get, as we get into this lesson today, I, 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 there's a key thought I want you to keep in mind and, and we'll look at this on the screen. But I want you to keep this in mind as we go through this text today. And I want you to keep this in mind as you look at your own individual life. Here's our key thought for today. We've already established the fact that the, a dysfunction is, there's dysfunctionality in every family on this earth. We know that some families are more dysfunctional than others. And I'm not talking about people who are not saved. I'm talking about people in the church, families who have a faith walk experiencing dysfunctionality. And we say that the dysfunction means to not operate normally or properly. So here's our key thought I want you to keep in mind. Recovery from dysfunctional family patterns is not easy. Everybody says it's not easy. How many of y'all will, 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 are willing to admit that there's some things that you struggle with today because of your upbringing? There are some things you struggle with and have problems dealing with effectively because you haven't allowed God to do his transformational work in you. Can I get a witness? So recovering from dysfunctional family families is not easy. It requires a transformation at the deepest level. Everybody said we got to go deep. See, God has promised to be actively involved in this transformation as we see him doing in the life of Abraham. 
God wants to be involved in this deep transformation that needs to take place in every last one of us. Are y'all listening to me today? And so, so when we talk, talk about this, what is a dysfunctional family then? Uh, I want you to uh, look at these things right quick. Number one, a dysfunctional family is one where improper and immature behavior of at least one parent damages the growth and individuality and the healthy relational skills among family members. L- listen to that again. A dysfunctional family is where improper and immature behavior of at least one parent damages everybody else in the family. Can I put it that way? Second thing is a dysfunctional family is one where family members are impaired emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. Because we see things happening in our own lives, in our families, that we know does not line up with God's will. And if we start to trace it back, we can trace it back to parents, amen, one or the other parent not being in a position where uh, are doing things that are outside of God's will. Third thing I want you to remember is this. Uh, a dysfunctional family is one where everyone is negatively impacted even when only one family member experiences a problem. How many of y'all got that family member that, that it's all, when they come around, it's always something? Well, maybe you're that family member. That when you come around, it's always something. See, a lot of us have not acknowledged to ourselves and to those who we're in connectivity with that we have dysfunctionality in our family and we got to deal with it. And, and God wants to be actively involved. If you name the name of Christ, God wants to be involved at a deep level in transforming all of us into the image of his dear son. God wants to be intricately involved in helping all of us get past the dysfunctionality within us that's caused by our families of origin. So that's what a dysfunctional family is. What is a, a functional family? Well, uh, the functional family is, is a cultivating family. Uh, uh, as, as a matter of fact, I, I want you to, if you will, let's look at Proverbs, the 14th chapter. In verse number 26, before I go into this, Proverbs, the 14th chapter, verse number 26. Because I, I need us to understand this. The text says, in the fear of the Lord is strong confidence. And his children shall have a place of refuge. Let's read it out loud on purpose. It says what? In the fear of the Lord is what? Strong confidence. And his children shall have a place of refuge. Whenever we as parents, amen, walk in the fear of God, then our children will have a place of refuge because we're walking in line with God's word. I am not talking about just coming to church. Can I say that again? I am not just talking about showing up on Sunday morning because, guys, we got a lot of people who show up on Sunday morning and their families are tore up from the floor. up. I'm not talking about showing up on Sunday morning because we got people who show up on Sunday morning, but they live in a way that's ungodly, participating in habits that do not align with their profession of faith. Getting drunk, drinking, smoking, committing adultery, sexual sin, cheating, lying, gambling, whatever, having unforgiveness in heart. All those things are permeating through families who name the name of Christ as their personal savior. We got to deal with this thing because the world will never embrace our God when they see us living in contradiction to the God who we talk to them about. So my question to you is, are you ready to get, get rid of dysfunction in your family? 
See, function, functional families, guys, is, is where proper and mature behavior to parents cultivates a, 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 a healthy balance. Everybody say healthy balance. A healthy balance between individuality and relational skills among family members. See, we should be able to, if our family is functioning in a healthy manner, be able to connect with our siblings, our brothers and sisters, and, and our aunties and uncles and on down the line. But we know that in a lot of our families, that, that doesn't flow very well. It's not very smooth because we have not allowed God to, to de- deal with us on a deep level. Second thing I want you to, 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 to just make note of, and it's in, it's in the sermon notes, it says a, a, a functional family is one where healthy, emotional, psychological, and spiritual growth is cultivated among family members. How many of you realize that you can have people come into church all their lives but never really grow spiritually? Paul saw that as he dealt with the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church, he says, you guys are spiritual babies. There's some things that I need to deal with you on. I need to talk to you about, but I can't talk to you about it because you can't digest it because you're still a spiritual baby. And we're going through this series, Kingdom Disciples, because I feel in my heart of hearts that many of our churches, including this one, haven't done a very good job of making disciples like Christ told us to. Making disciples. Everybody say making disciples. It's about discipling believers, not just getting them down the aisle and baptizing them. But God wants us to help each other to grow in our faith, to take the time to spend with people and grow and develop them. Third thing, just make a note of this, is that a functional family is one where as family members encounter problems, they cultivate the ability. Here's, listen to this. They cultivate the, the ability to face difficulty with confidence and the support of other family members. Because guys, how many of y'all know that all of us are going to face some difficulty? Every family that's on this earth is going to face some difficult situations, some trying times. The devil is going to make sure that And then even God is a part of our testing process, as we're going to see here in just a second. So we got to realize that there are dysfunctional families and there are functional families. Which one do you want to fall into? I don't know about you, but I want to become a a, a functional family, fully functional in the things of God and making sure that God, amen, has me where I need to be. So, 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 guys, I want to ask you a series of questions. And this is look. I want you to think about these questions. These are not in your sermon notes, but I want you to think about these because this personal checklist kind of gives you an idea of whether or not you still have some dysfunctionality that you're holding on to you on the inside that you didn't even realize you had uh, in, on the inside of you. Listen to these real carefully, okay? And I, I'll repeat these, and we'll get them out there uh, in, the, in the coming weeks on the, ser- on, on the sermon notes. But here, here's a test to see if you got some unresolved conflict and dysfunctionality from your past that, 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 that's resulted from your family's dysfunction. Do you fear personal criticism? First question you want to ask. Just think about it. Do you fear personal criticism? Do you give to others to the extent that it is harmful to you? Do you, do you constantly seek approval from others? Listen to me carefully. Do you suppress your emotions? In other words, when you when the family gets together, there's something you want to say, but you won't say what you want to say because of for fear of how the rest of the family is going to re- respond to you, sharing how you feel. I tell people all the time, feelings are real, 
But feelings may not necessarily be the truth. You can feel a certain way, but that feeling may not be truth. So my question to you is, are you able to express your emotions when you're with your family members? Husband and wives, are you, are you able to share your emotions truthfully and honestly with your spouse? You'd be surprised, and maybe you wouldn't be surprised, at the number of, of married couples who can't talk about what they need to talk about. The number of married couples who, who, who are saved in somebody's Sunday school class, in Bible study every week, showing up for Sunday mornings, but they can't talk about crucial issues without it becoming World War III. Everybody said that's dysfunction. You are a Christian, and Christians should be able to get along. If we have, if both of us have the mind of Christ, then we ought to be able to get along with one another. Can I get a witness? And when that doesn't happen, guys, there's a level of dysfunctionality that we haven't allowed God to touch on the inside of us. Listen to this next one. Do you lie when you could easily tell the truth? Think about that one. Think about it. Do you lie when you could easily just tell the truth? Hello? Do you feel you got to rescue other folks? Do you have difficulty having fun or relaxing? You got to know there are some people who are members of the church who say that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, but they're some mean, non-fun loving, <laughs> always in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a foul mood type person, and, and something is causing that. You, you work with these kind of people, right? Some of y'all are married to these kind of people. Some of y'all go to church with these kind of people who it seems like they are never happy. They can't, they can't have fun. They can't relax. Everything is serious. There's something on the inside that they haven't de- dealt with. The Bible even said this, laughter do it good like what? A medicine. Amen. When we learn how to laugh, we learn how to relax, we learn how to have fun, then, then God can, can use our personality bent to help lead somebody else into a closer walk with him. Next question I want you to ask yourself, do you judge yourself too harshly? And we ought to judge ourselves. We ought to look at ourselves and see what's going on inside of us. But sometimes we're too hard on our own selves. And a lot of that stems from our dysfunctional upbringing. Do you find yourself being easily manipulated? Just think about these questions, okay? Because again, it leads to, it it lets you know whether or not there's a, a high level of dysfunctionality still permeating on the inside of you. Do you have, listen to this, do you assume too much responsibility? Some of y'all do something, some of y'all sitting out there right now are the, are the go-to person for your family. And everybody comes to you for everything and you take on every family problem when in some cases you shouldn't be the one taking on the family problem. Do you, do you assume too much family responsibility? Ask yourself that question. Or maybe you need to ask somebody who, who's, who's in connection with you. Because sometimes we can't see our own selves, can we? We got these blind spots. Here's the next question. Do you have, watch this, do you have unresolved anger toward any family member? Oh, yeah, that was, can I repeat that one again? And I want you to focus on that. Do you have any unresolved anger toward any family member? These are just questions that I want you to ask your personal checklist to see if you got dysfunctionality boiling beneath the surface. Do you, do you avoid taking personal responsibility for your actions? How many of y'all got siblings and uncles and aunties or whoever else who don't take responsibility for their own actions? It's all everybody else's fault. 
It's the family's fault. It's mama's fault. It's daddy's fault. It's, it's the cousin's fault. Never take responsibility. And do you violate your own conscience in order to please other folks? That means that there's some dysfunction floating on the inside of you. And so, in the last one, do you feel the need to control others? How many of y'all out there are sometimes controlling to the extent that, that if, if, if it go on, you got to be running it? How many of y'all got any brothers like that, that they got to be in charge of everything? Anybody? Now, guys, listen to me carefully. I want you to think about those questions because we got to deal with this thing. Remember the key thought for the day. Here's a key thought again. Recovery from dysfunctional family patterns is not easy. It requires a transformation at the deepest levels. And God has promised to be actively involved in this transformation as we see him doing in the life of Abraham. One of the primary ways that he initiates this transformation process is through trials or through testing. Everybody say trials tests. How many of y'all like trials? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody like trials? Even though you know the trial and your faith work and patience, and patience when it's having perfecting, perfecting work will find you not lacking and being in a place of, 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 of solidness. But nobody goes around and wakes up in the morning and says, I want a trial to come my way today. Anybody out there does that? No, 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 no. We, we really, guys, we want things to go smoothly. We don't want any hiccups. We just want to just everybody to be happy. But I'm here to tell you today, guys, we live in a, in a fallen world, in a sinful world, and everybody is not going to be happy. And everybody's not going to cooperate. And there are going to be trials that come your way. We must, we all must face trials, guys. We all must face trials. And so, so again, what are trials, guys? I'm glad, glad you asked. Well, trials or adverse circumstances that God allows in our lives to both identify where we are spiritually as well as to prepare us for where he wants us to go. Listen to that again now. Trials or adverse circumstances that God, everybody say, allows. I got something to tell you, and I, I need y'all to hear me carefully. Nothing that happens in your life as a born-again believe, believer happens unless God allows it. Are y'all listening to me today? Nothing that happens in your life happens unless God allows it. Now think about that. Think about that just for a second. It, it, it wouldn't happen unless God allows it. Y'all remember Job? When, when, the, when the enemy, Satan, was walking to and fro on the earth trying to, trying to get next to Job, he was walking to and fro on the earth trying to find out somebody who can, he can devour. And then God, God offered up Job. He said, if you consider my servant Job, He's an upright man. What did Satan say? Well, you know what? I have considered him, but I can't get to him because you got a hedge of protection around him. Hello? I, I, Satan, Satan, in, my, in my spiritual imagination, I can see Satan saying to God, and this is one in the scripture, but, but, but he, he does say, I can't get to him because you got a hedge of protection around him. How many of y'all know that God, amen, 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 covers us? And if the enemy comes at us, he has to get permission from God to come, come at us. And that's what he did with Job, amen. God gave him permission to come and bring a frontal assault on Job. But y'all know how the story ended up, right? 
Job had much more than what he had from the very beginning because even in the midst of having to deal with a wife, she tell me, curse God and die. Job did not charge God foolishly. Job went through some stuff, but in the, in the end, he had more than what he had before the enemy started to attack him. So guys, we must all face trials. So, so trials are those adverse circumstances that, that God allows in our lives to both identify where we are spiritually as well as to prepare us for where he wants us to go. Second thing is you're either, listen to, careful, listen, listen to me carefully, I don't want y'all to miss this now. You're either in a trial now, how many of y'all can say amen? You're either in a trial now, you've just come out of a trial, or you're getting ready to go into a trial. Three things. Watch, watch this. Either, either you're in one now. Some of y'all say, yes, Lord, I'm in one right now. You just come out of one. You say, thank you, Jesus, I got through that one. Or you're getting ready to get into another trial. Because as long as we're in this life, God is, is seeking to transform us and get us to the place in him. Trials are unavoidable realities of life. We cannot get around it. We're going to face some trials. Amen. We can take comfort in the fact that no trial comes our way without first having received God's divine approval. Now, now that may cut some of y'all because some of y'all think right now, are you really serious, Pastor? Are you really serious that God allowed this? Now, let me say this. Some things are not trial. I'm talking about trials. I'm talking about the things that God allows to come into our life to grow us and to develop us. And we'll talk about this second. There's a difference between trials and temptation. Some stuff ain't a trial. It's some stuff that we were tempted and we fell into. And now we're reaping the consequences of our falling to that temptation. Can I get a witness? That's different from a trial. Hello? See, a trial ain't some fine woman walking in front of you guy. And then you say, oh, 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 Lord Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me, Jesus. No, that, 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 ain't, that ain't the Lord. That's a temptation. Can I say it again? There's a difference, and we'll see this in a second, between a trial and a temptation. As a matter of fact, let me go on, just give you the, the difference. A trial is sent by God to develop us and to promote us. A temptation is sent by Satan to demote us and to destroy us. Can I get a witness? So that thing you fell into because of you were drawn away your own lust, don't say, well, the Lord sent her my way. And the Lord sent her to my office and had her talking sweet to me. My wife was talking ugly to me and the Lord just tested me. No, that's your flesh. God sends trials to, to, to prepare us for promotion, to prepare us for growth. The enemy sends temptations to destroy us, to ruin our testimony. Can I get a witness? So there are three, let's, let's watch this, three reasons, three, three reasons why God allows trials and tests in our lives. And, and, and he's, he's doing this, and we're getting back to our text when we see where Abraham now is faced with a trial where God is trying to see, has he totally surrendered? Amen? Number one, God allows trials or tests in our lives to reveal where we are along our spiritual journey. Because many of us think we're at one place, but we're not there. Many of us think that we are where 
God can bless us at this level and God can use us at this level, but we're not really there. And those tests come to show us where we are, to reveal where we are along our spiritual journey. Some of you all thought you were ready to handle when a, a loved one, amen, uh, did something that, that really violates your trust. A loved one did something to, to disrupt your whole family. You thought you were ready to handle that until it happened. And then you wigged out. You went crazy because you were really not ready to handle what came your way. To reveal where we are alone, our spiritual. The second thing is to correct us when necessary. Trials come to correct us when necessary. How many of y'all know that all of us need some correction every now and then? All of us need our life put back on the right course. All of us, if we're not careful, will find ourselves in a position to where we are not in line with God's will. So trials come to correct us when necessary. And thirdly, trials come to strengthen us for the journey ahead. Everybody say, strengthen me, Lord. Now again, listen, not every difficult circumstance or difficult experience in life is necessarily a personal test from God. Some stuff, like I said earlier, is comes in our lives because we are drawn away of our own lust. Let's go to James chapter 1, verse 12 through 16 right quick. James chapter 1, verse 12 through 16. All stuff is not a trial or a test from God, but God does send trials and test our way. James chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 12 through 16 right quick. Glory to God. How many of y'all know God is a good God and he's worthy to be praised? Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God loves us, and he loves us enough to test us. He loves us enough to put us in a position where he can use us like he wants to use us. The text says this. Watch this. Blessed is the man that does what? Endure temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord had promised to them that love him. Next verse. Let's read. It says what? Let no man say, watch this. When he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Watch this. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man understood with evil. I, I just said, I told you a while ago, he didn't send that fine woman into your office. Huh? He, he, didn't, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't have you drive by the liquor store when they, were, they had a, 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 a two-for-one sale on Jack Daniels. And you just couldn't resist going get your two for one. Hello. He, he doesn't entice you with evil. Come on. He says, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man with evil. All right. Next verse. says, But every man is what? Tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. There's some stuff on the inside of all of us, guys. I said all of us. Touch yourself and say, I got some stuff. In my flesh. Say it again. Say, I got some stuff in my flesh that if I don't deal with, it'll come out. Yes, indeed, it will. But every man sits when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Watch what the next verse says. Watch this. Then when lust hath conceived, it does what? It brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, does what? Bring it forth death. Look at verse 16. Watch this. Watch this. Do not err, my beloved brethren. All right, so, so we see we're, we're enticed 
with temptation. So, but God sends trials our way. And we'll see here, if we look at the life of Abraham, sometimes our own disobedience causes uh, the pain of disappointment in our life. Sometimes our own disobedience puts us in a point to where we cannot be in a position where God wants to utilize us. Sometimes our hurts are simply a part of, of, of normal human life. Sometimes stuff coming in our life, it's not, it's not a temptation. It's not a trial. It's just life. And there's a fact of life that as you grow older, friends and loved ones relocate or they begin to die. I go to more funerals now at 57 than I did when I was 20. It's a fact of life. Can I get a witness? So it, that's not necessarily the Lord, amen, amen, trying to test you as much as it is some stuff is a part of life. Some things we blame on the devil. Come on. You had a refrigerator for 40 years and it goes out. The devil is a liar. The devil ain't no liar. Refrigerator went out. It was not designed to last 40 years. You got to get a new one. Stuff wears out. How many of y'all will blame stuff on the devil? And the devil had nothing to do with it. Oh, Lord, this thing, no, the, devil, the devil is a lie. No, the devil ain't a lie. You've had that thing and you repaired it 15 times and it's time to get another one. Can I get a witness? Anything that man makes will eventually wear out. The home that you're in, if you don't repair, it's going gonna, it's gonna to start to deteriorate in some shape, form, or fashion. You got to repaint. You got to fix that screen, though, that, that the screen been tore off of it for five years. Hello. And how many of y'all know you can get used to looking at stuff that's, 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 that's in, old, in old school, uh, uh, they used to call it Katie Janky. It's just this janky looking. No screen on the door. You saw it and it doesn't cost you a whole lot, but you can get used to looking at a tore up screen door. You can get used to being junky if you're not careful. Hello? Are y'all with me today? So, so some stuff in life is not a trial. That's, it just, it's just a normal part of life. Amen. We live in a fallen world and stuff deteriorates. Learn to distinguish between trials and temptation. Again, temptations come from our desires within us, as we saw in James, while trials come from the Lord who has a special purpose to fulfill. Amen. Temptations are used by the devil to bring out the worst in us, but trials are used by the Holy Spirit to bring out the best in us. God wants your very best. In order to get you to the point where he can pull out your very best, he has to send all of us through trials. Temptations seem logical while trials seem to be unreasonable. Why would God give Abraham a son and then ask Abraham to sacrifice him. Let's go a little deeper. Let's be careful. All believers face similar temptations to sin, but not all believers experience the same trials of faith. I got to repeat that. Let's be careful. All believers face similar temptations to sin. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, chapter verse number 13, that we got to take heed lest we fall, okay? We got to be on guard because every one of us in here, are, nobody in here is immune to falling into sin. Amen. And I've said this before and I've said it again. One of the, the most clear 
and visual pictures of the agape love of God is when you fall or you hurt somebody deeply who you're in connection with in, in some kind of cover relationship with, whether a church member, a spouse, a coworker. When you mess up royally and don't deserve uh, to even receive forgiveness and mercy and grace, but that forgiveness, mercy, and grace is extended to you through agape love. That's when we really see the love of God working and operating in our lives. And God wants to use us to show people his love. And when, when someone can forgive you when you messed up royally, then now we begin to understand the agape love of God. And you can't give that kind of love if you're not passing some of these trials, these tests that God is bringing your way. Because you'll be a person who harbors unforgiveness to just hold it, amen, and not and, and allow dysfunctionality to permeate throughout your whole family. And it's permeating throughout your whole family because as, brother, as Pastor Tim Ross told us, the problem with you reconcile with your family member, your wife, your husband, is that you hadn't connected to your God. You cannot reconcile with those who we're in horizontal relationship with until you reconcile with the one who we're in vertical relationship with. Your problem is you don't know God like, like you need to know it. Hello? And we keep trying to do it, trying to connect this way, but we hadn't connected this way. And God says, I got to get you there. You belong to me, so I'm going to send some trials your way to help you get there. Now, now, now let's, 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 let's keep moving. God, uh, God's testings are tailor-made for each child of God. Your test may be different than my test. Can I get a witness? And, and each of our experience is unique, amen? Different tests come our way. God never asked Lot to face the test that Abraham faced. Why? Because Lot, Lot was being tempted by the world and the flesh and never grew to the place of maturity that Abraham reached. Can I get a witness? In one sense, it is a compliment when God sends us a test. It shows God wants to promote us in this school of faith. So when, I, when you are facing a trial or a test in your life, look at it as, as God saying, I'm getting ready to do something in you that I can't do in you until I get you to this next phase in life. Don't just be poor mouthing because you're facing a trial or a test. Amen. Look at it as an opportunity that God is using that to cultivate you and develop you. Can I get a witness? So, so, so let's get back to our text and go back to Genesis chapter number 22 right quick. Watch this, watch this. God asked Abraham, Abraham for total surrender. He asked him for total surrender. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. Now y'all who've been following us through this text know that this is the son that they had waited all these years, he and Sarah, to birth into the earth realm. The one that they tried to fix it up by bringing Hagar into the picture, messing with God's plan. God already knew when he gave them a word that he was going to bring it to pass the way he said so. And so, so, but this son who they believed God for, God asked Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. And guys, in this period of human history, the altar was kind of like church. It was the place to worship through sacrifice. Everybody say worship through sacrifice. See, God knows how to pick the very thing that will test the deepest part of our hearts. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And sometimes we think we fool God. How many of y'all ever tried to fool God before? Got up in church and said you were going to do something. 
some of y'all signed up for the kingdom discipleship class and some, some, some people didn't sign up for it, but some who signed up for it, uh, you know, haven't, haven't really connected and started delving in like you committed to doing. And it's critically important guys for us to understand what it means to be a kingdom disciple. But if you won't engage in your own spiritual development, you will not grow. No church can grow you. No program can grow you without your participation. You got to be willing to be involved in your own spiritual development. See, God knows how to pick the very thing that will test the deepest part of our heart. Yes, he does. God does this because he knows that our words alone mean very little. Our words alone mean very little. How many of y'all in the old days they say uh, talk is cheap? How many of y'all remember that? Talk is cheap. Jesus said, not everyone that said to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God, but he that what? Doeth the will of my Father. Be, James says, be doers of the word and not what? Hearers only doing what? Deceiving our own selves. See, we can deceive ourselves into thinking that we're growing in faith and all the time we're not doing what the word of God says and we think we're really okay with God and God says, no, 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 I got to do some perfecting work in you because I got to use you like I want to use you, but I can't use you like I want to use you because you, you're not doing what I told you to do in my word. Are you following me today? So, 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 so God knows, God, God knows how to, to, to pick the very thing that will Test the deepest part of our heart. And God does this because he knows that our words alone mean little. Abraham, we see here, as we get back to Genesis 22, Abraham takes action. Everybody say action. I want you to know something in verse number three of this 22nd verse. 22nd chapter, I'm sorry. Genesis chapter 22, verse number three. Let's look at it right quick. The text says what? Can y'all read with me? Let's read. It says what? And Abraham, I want you listen. Stop, stop, stop. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to just, if you look in, in the King James Version of Scripture, I want you to underline these verbs, okay? Or highlight them in your Bible. And Abraham, number one, he did, first thing he did, what? He what? Rose. A verb is a what? An action word. Abraham, number one, he did what? He rose up early in the morning. And he did what? He saddled his ass, his donkey, okay? And he took what? And he, he, he rose, he saddled, and he did what? He took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he did what? He clave the wood for the burnt off. In other words, he had it up on his arm and he what? And he rose up and he what? He went unto the place in which God had told him. He saddled, he took, he, he, he did what? He clave or he, yeah, and he, he did what else? He rose and then he what? And he went, Amen. These are all verbs indicating immediate response. Everybody say immediate response. See, God wants us to obey him immediately. How many of y'all know delayed obedience can be disobedience? Partial obedience is disobedience. If God asks you to bring the tithe of the tent and you bring 2%, that's disobedience. Come on. Here's, here's some more disobedience. If you're asked to be somewhere 15 minutes before the start time so we can start at 10 rather than you show up at 10, that's partial obedience. Well, I ain't going to get there because I don't want to be the first one there. 
What's wrong with being the first one there? Listen to me, guys. Listen, partial obedience is what? Disobedience. Guys, we got to make sure that we do like Abraham. Now, listen, we saw Abraham's life. We saw how he lied. He was conniving. And, but he got to this 22nd chapter where now we see him, amen, obeying without fear or trepidation, obeying without any hint of hesitation, guys. What does that tell me? That tells me that Abraham had progressed in his walk with the Lord and God looks for all of us to progress. He wants all of us to move uh, uh, in our walk. He wants us to grow. The Bible says as newborn babies desire the sincere milk of the word so that you can do what? Grow thereby. Hey guys, watch, watch, watch. This is really important. Watch this. We got to get to the point to where we are growing. But I want you to notice something. Notice what verse 3, go back to Genesis 22, verse 3. 22, verse number 3. Notice what it does not say. It doesn't say that Abraham tries to bargain with God. How many of y'all tried to bargain with God before? Well, Lord, I do that. If you bless me with this new job, I'll start to tithe. Let me tell you something. If you're not tithing at $25,000 a year, you're not going to tithe at $100,000 a year. Lord, if you just bless me to win the Powerball lottery, I promise you I will give you tithe. No, you won't. Because if you, if you won't give him $10, you sure won't give him a million dollars. Hello? We try to bargain with God, but we don't see Abraham doing that here in this text, guys. We, he, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he, he doesn't say, uh, uh, God, I'll do this if you do that. He doesn't say, uh, uh, God, why? It, it doesn't give us a picture of any kind of debate going on. He was very succinct, very on point, and he moved immediately when God told him. Now, 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 now it, it just says Abraham, he got up, got going, and did what God asked him to do. Where did Abraham find the strength and the courage and the faith to respond this way? Let's move around to verse number four and five right quick. Watch this. The text says this. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. Guys, here's what I like about this story is that we saw Abraham at his worst, right? We saw him at his worst. How many of y'all know people who are in covenant relationship with you who saw you at your worst? But it didn't give up on you. They didn't stop believing that God was working on you and in you. Can I get a witness? We saw Abraham lying twice. Come on. Lying twice. Access to the point where he gave his wife to the king to save his own skin. Allowed his wife to be taken into the king's harem. And when she's taken to the king's harem, that means the king going to have sex with her. He, he gave up his wife, guys, to save his own hide. But now we see a, a different Abraham. I like the progression that I see. I like the Abraham in Genesis 22. See, some, sometimes, how many of y'all know, guys, all of us, let me put it this way, all of us don't look like what we're going to eventually be in God if we keep growing. Huh? You, 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 you don't, people always say, well, I don't look like what I've been through. You don't look like what you're going to be if you keep moving with God, too. Abraham progressed to the point to where he did not doubt what God was telling. The only way Abraham could, could have said what he said 
was because he fully knew the power of God. Look at what he says. And Abraham said to, to his young man, watch what he says here. Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad, talking about his son Isaac, will go yonder and do what? Watch this. Worship. He was actually performing worship at God's command. Now, we know, we know that under the old covenant, they, they would offer a sacrifice, and the altar represents it's sort of like the church when you went to worship, you offered an animal sacrifice. But here God says, I want you to offer your son Isaac, the one whom you love. I want you to offer him on the altar. What is God doing here? God is, God, God knows all things, but experientially God had to see where Abraham was. Knowledge-wise, God knows everything, but experientially, Come on, God has to, God, God, we're going to see what God says. Now I know. I know experientially that you got, that you trust me totally and completely. Text says, and the lab, I and the lab will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Not just me, but me and the boy are going to go worship and me and the boy are going to come again to you. What is Abraham doing here, guys? He's calling those things which be not as though they already are. What gave him the confident assurance to be able to say what he said here in verse number five? I tell you what it was. It's because he understood the power of God. The only way Abraham could have said uh, what he said was because he fully knew the power of God and the promises of God. Abraham knew that God, the God he served, had promised to bless his son and his son's seed. Now, his son at this time don't have any children, not married. So if he's going to bless his son's seed, how he going to bless his son's seed if the seed dead? And the son is dead. It wouldn't happen. So in, let me show you, in Abraham's mind, go to Hebrews 11 chapter right quick. Verse 17 through 19. Look at what was going on in Abraham's mind. I wonder what's going on in your mind when God sends you through a trial. Are you whining? Are you complaining? Are you throwing a hissy fit? How many of y'all, how many of y'all have thrown a fit before when the trial came? Come on. Be honest with me. Come on, be honest with me. I need some hands raised. Come on. We, 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 we're learning here today. How many of y'all, when you went through trial, you complained? Mm-hmm. And God has said, that's why I got to keep coming at you because you keep complaining when I'm trying to perfect you. Learn how to receive the trial and trust me. Look at what the text says. The Bible says that by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac and he that had received the promises, did what? Offered up his only begotten son. He that had received the promises, offered up his only begotten son. Next verse says what? Watch this. Of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Next verse says what? Let's read. Accounting or believing that God was what? Able to raise him up even from the dead. From whence also he received him in a figure. In other words, in his mind's eye, he saw God having to raise Isaac from the dead because Abraham had got to the point where he believed the promises of God so strongly that he knew that if God allowed him to sacrifice his son on the altar, God was obligated to raise him up. Now, baby, let me tell you something. That's strong faith. That's believing in the power of God. Let's get to the point in your walk with God where you say, God, I trust you so much. It don't even have to make sense to my mind because faith don't make sense. It just works. Can I get a witness? It don't make sense. 
that you, that you come here uh, every Sunday and hear a message from a guy by the name of Dollars from Benton, Louisiana, and that message can help transform your life. It don't make sense. It doesn't make sense that you would sacrifice your time, your talent, your resources to, 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 to serve a God who you can't see. Physically, I mean. But we can see him moving. Can I, can I get a witness? I, can, I don't see the wind, but I see the effects of the wind. Can I get a witness? So I, I may not see God, but I see the effects of God. How many of y'all know God has been your bread in a starving land? Can I get a witness? How many of y'all know God has been your water in dry places? How many of y'all are experiencing to be the doctor in a sick room, a lawyer in a courtroom? You may not can't see him, but you see what he does. Are y'all with me today? So, so Abraham is at a point to where, man, he just, he just, he just trusts in God. All the way. Faith is not about, listen to me guys, faith without works is dead. Faith is not about how much you believe. It's about believing that the one you believe in is believable. I got to say that again. That sounds good to me. Faith is not about how much you believe. It's about believing that the one you believe in is believed. Dr. Tony Evans said it that way. I like that. Look at the next verse. Let, let, let's keep on. The way you find out if you, if the one you believe in is believable is by knowing and experiencing him. Faith, listen to me again. Faith, experience is faith that's real. Faith cannot be experienced without our feet doing what we say we believe. Second Corinthians 5, verse number 7, I believe says, for we walk by faith and not by what? Sight. It said we walk by faith. It didn't say we talk by faith. Now we got to speak it, yeah, but our speaking has to be backed up by our walking. Our talking has to be backed up by our walking. And that's what Abraham does here. He, he goes and offers his son. He says, he, I like the way he talks. He says, y'all stay right here. Me and the boy are going to go do what? Worship. And then we're going to come back. Because he knew in his mind's eye. I think it's over in Romans, the fourth chapter. Let's go to Romans chapter number four. And, if, and we'll, we'll look at this right quick. I, this wasn't the first time. See, see resurrection, uh, Romans chapter four, I believe it is. Yeah, here we go. And, and this, it says, therefore it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not to only, not not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Look what the text says. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before, whom, before him whom, whom he believed, even God who quickened the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Look at the next verse. Let's read. Who against hope, talking about Abraham, who against hope, believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. Next verse says what? Uh, and being not weak in faith, watch this, he considered not his own body, now dead. Now you can, you can read that several different ways. He was alive physically, but it said his body was now dead. When he was about 100 years old, his body was now dead. He was 100 years old. His body was now dead. E.D., his body was now dead. Erectile dysfunction. His body was now dead. Are y'all getting the picture now? When he's about 100 years old, 
neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb, past the menstruation period, past the, the age of childbearing. Look at what the next verse says. Watch this. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief. He didn't stagger. But was strong in faith, doing what? Giving glory to God. His body was dead. See, here's how you could see Isaac being resurrected because he knew his body was dead physically as it relates to being able to, to perform. God resurrected his body to perform. He saw that happen, so he believed that God could resurrect his son off that altar when he sacrificed him. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. God, amen, when you can trust God to that level, there ain't nothing that God can't do to you. So we got to learn how to depend on God's promises, God, God's provision, depend on God's provision because faith is validated by the steps we take, not by the exhilaration we feel. Our faith is validated when we move, not just talk about it and sing about it and pray about it. Faith without works is what? dead. That's what the Bible says. Two statements as we go back to Genesis 22. Let's, let's, let's wrap this thing up. Y'all know the story, right? The Bible says this. After Abraham said that, as I, I, one writer said this way, as Abraham was going up this side of Mount Moriah, the ram in the bush was coming up this side of the mountain. And when he got to that place of sacrifice, when God says, hold up, I now know that you trust me totally and completely. You are totally surrendered to me. The very thing that was dear to you, you're willing to give it to me. A lot of us are willing to give God our junk, our messed up stuff. Y'all, some of us are just like those folks in the Old Testament. They bring the old, the old lamb that's crooked and bent down. <laughs> they bring the animal that don't nobody want. Hello, the, scron- the scrawny one. Many of us are quick to come to a, a clothing giveaway and give away stuff we ain't worn in 30 years. It smell like moths. Mothballs. Y'all know what mothballs are, don't you? We're quick to give that kind of stuff away, but how many of you are willing to sacrifice that new dress that still has the tag on it? That's one of the things that when we, when we do our uh, a clothing giveaway, we ask you to sacrifice something. Give something that's new or next to new. Because many of us are, are willing to give away our junk, but God says, are you willing to give me your very best? And we see in this text that Abraham was willing to give his very best. Look at what the text says here. Uh, uh, verse number 11. Pop up verse number 11 right quick. Total surrender. So the question today is, guys, as we've seen this family, as we've seen Abraham get to this point, we saw the dysfunctionality, but we see him now being totally surrendered and totally sold out. The Bible says, and the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He's getting ready. He's getting ready, guys, because in his mind's eye, he see God raising Isaac from the dead. And the angel called unto, out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. Here, I, here, I, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, Thy only son from me. Verse 13, watch this, watch this. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Guys, I'm going to tell you something. 
when we face our trials, we got to have the confident assurance that what God promised in his word, he will bring it to pass. Are y'all with me today? We see this here in this text. Amen. And so we, that, that means we, we need to depend on God's provision. God had a provision there for him. Amen. Again, as, as, as when he climbed on one, up one side of the mountain, God was bringing the, the, the ultimate sacrifice, uh, the sacrifice up on, up on the other side of the mountain. Abraham could depend on the promise and provision of the Lord because he had already experienced the resurrection power in his own body, guys. In his own body. Let me say this, and, and, and last, look forward to what God has for you, guys. Because again, look forward to what God has for you. There's always an afterward to the test of life because God never wastes suffering. He never wastes suffering. Job put his way, but he knoweth the way, in Job 23 and 10 says, but he knoweth the way that I take when he hath tested me. I shall come forth as gold. Listen to that again. Job 23 and 10 says, but he knoweth the way that I take when he hath tested me, I shall come forth as go. Amen. Abraham received blessings from God because of his obedient faith. Look forward to what God has for you. A nation that the Savior, Jesus Christ, came through to be born in a manger in Bethlehem. The Savior came through the lineage of Abraham and through his Abraham's seed, truly the entire world has been blessed by what Jesus Christ did out on Calvary. Calvary where the blood of the lamb was shed for our sins. Calvary, the place where God gave us his very best. Calvary, on Golgotha's hill, Jesus Christ was crucified, hung his head and died so that you and I could be the catalyst to be a part of God's family and be the tool that God uses to deal with the dysfunction in our family. He wants to use you to be the one who speaks with a voice of reason to say, you know what? It's time out for this foolishness. It's time for us to do life God's way. Jesus gave his life out on Calvary. Hung, bled, and died. Buried in the borrowed tomb. Rose again, first day of the week, with all power in heaven and earth in his hands so that you and I could be his representatives here on earth. How many of you are ready to totally surrender today? Total surrender. Abraham showed us what it meant to totally surrender. Abraham showed us what it meant to not be like he was early on in his life, half committed, but totally surrendered. EBC, we need some members who are totally surrendered. It's time out for playing. Some of y'all been... Fiddle farting around. Just kind of halfway doing church. Not realizing that church ain't about coming to church. It's about being a representative of God in your individual environments. If nothing else we've learned from this pandemic, the church is more than just gathering. Now, gathering is important because the Bible says forsake not the assembling of yourself together. But we learn even more so that the church can still operate even when we never meet here. 
Most of the work that Jesus and his apostles did was outside of the temple. Yet we want to do all our work in the temple. And God says, I'm trying to get you to become a disciple, a learned one, a disciplined one who allows the visible demonstration of my comprehensive rule in every area of your life. That's what I'm trying to get you to. Every head bowed, everybody closed.